Amen. That was outstanding. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that, and I appreciate more of the truth of that song that uh, once we're saved, he no longer remembers our sins. Uh, they are forgotten, and uh, it doesn't mean that like you and I forget, and uh, where we forget where we put our keys or our wallet. Uh, no, he forgets because he chooses to, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Well, if you would take your Bible at this time and turn to Psalm 111, Psalm 111. Psalm 111, and as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 111. And we're going to read the whole psalm and, and work our way through it as we go through the message today. Um, these first, these or these ten verses, we'll go ahead and read them at this time. The Word of God says this, Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. They are done and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever, holy and reverend, is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. And let's pray together um, before we get into the message. Lord, we're thankful for your word. And uh, Lord, thank you for the instruction here in Psalm 111 regarding praising the Lord. Help us, Lord, to understand our responsibility to praise you more than we already did before. And uh, God, I pray that you would mightily bless this time, and may you receive praise and glory and honor for all that takes place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to give you an interesting fact about Psalm 111. In the Hebrew, we don't see this in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's an acrostic psalm. See, each of the first eight verses have two lines, and the last two verses have three lines each. So each of the 22 lines begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in proper order. And uh, so if you were uh, a Jew and, and you were part of the nation of Israel and you saw this, it would be an acrostic and uh, you've seen acrostics uh, a bunch in, in this life uh, in English, but here, uh, this was in Hebrew, an acrostic psalm. Um, but the major emphasis of this psalm is regarding praising the Lord. Now, a few weeks ago, as we were looking at James chapter number five, if you might recall, we were confronted with our prayer life. Uh, we were challenged in that message and in that passage to be faithful and to be fervent in our prayer life. Well, today, we're going to talk about our praise life. Because, see, this is also an important part of our Christian life. Not just to ask for things and to request things, but to spend time thanking Him and praising Him for answering these prayer requests according to His will. Now, God has commanded us to praise Him. This psalm begins with the command to praise the Lord. In verse number 1, if you look there, it says, Praise ye the Lord. The Hebrew word for praise is hallel. And the Hebrew word for God or Jehovah is Jah. So when you put those two words together, Hallel, Yah, and you can come up, you come up with the word Hallelujah. And that means to praise God or to praise the Lord. So you all kind of went to Hebrew class this morning and got to learn a little Hebrew. So every time you say Hallelujah, really what that means in the English is praise the Lord. And uh, that's what the psalmist is encouraging the readers to do, to praise the Lord. 
Now, the word praise means to extol in words or song, to magnify, to glorify, or to account of perfections or excellent works. Praise implies gratitude. It expresses thankfulness for past and present mercies. And uh, praise also implies self-forgetfulness. Self is in oblivion when we contemplate and are thankful for those blessings which have made self even possible to begin with. Praise also implies an adoration and recognition of God's uh, wonderful uh, nature. Praise is also involves uh, the combined operation of all our faculties, the mind, the emotions, the will, the spirit, and the body, all are necessary for praise to take place. So this psalm starts with uh, an encouragement to praise the Lord, an instruction to praise the Lord. But it's not the only psalm to begin like this. If your Bible has uh, Psalm 1, if your, if your page there has Psalm 112 right there, that starts the same exact way, praise ye the Lord. In Psalm 113, it starts the exact same way, praise ye the Lord. You go back to Psalm 106, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And I'm going to keep going through these. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 117, verse 1, oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. Psalm 135 starts this way, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the name of the Lord, praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Psalm 146, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, 147 starts the same way, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. Psalm 148, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Uh, Psalm 149, verse 1, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. And then the last psalm uh, of them all, Psalm 150, says this, praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power. So there is an instruction in the Psalms to praise the Lord and a call for us to do that. But how are we to praise the Lord? Well, first we're to praise the Lord with our lips. Psalm, 1, Psalm 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So we're to praise the Lord with our lips, with uh, verbally. And uh, it's not enough, again, to just be thankful in our hearts. We need to express it. Psalm, 1, Psalm 35, and verse 28, My tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. So what comes out of your lips? On the daily. Is it the praise of God? Now, I, I know we have to talk other things, and other things need to come out of our mouth as we communicate with our uh, coworkers and with our family members and those in our community, those who we come in contact with. But, but, but does praise come out of your lips as well? Psalm 63, verse 3 says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. After one of the terrible battles of the Civil War, a dying Confederate soldier asked to see the chaplain. When the chaplain arrived, he supposed the young man would wish him to ask God for his recovery, but it was quite different. First, the soldier asked him to cut off a lock of his hair for, um, for his mother, and then he asked him to kneel down and thank God. What, what for? asked the surprised chaplain. Well, for giving me such a mother. And to thank God that I'm a Christian. And to thank God for giving me grace to die with. And to thank God for the home he has promised me over there. So the chaplain knelt down by the dying man. And his prayer, he had not a single petition to offer, but only praise and gratitude. And with his lips, he wanted to use the last remaining time that he had to express his praise to God. So we're to praise the Lord with our lips, but not just with our lips. Uh, I would say even more importantly, with our life. See, Mark chapter 7 and verse 6, and Jesus answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, it's more than just mere lip service. Um, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation of peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Not just say it, but show it with your life. So we're to praise the Lord with my lips and with my life. One verse that encapsulates that thought is Psalm 146.2. The psalmist wrote, While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. So there it is. We're to praise the Lord with our lips and with our life. This morning, I would like to share with you three important elements in Psalm 111 about praising the Lord. And uh, number one, I want us to see in verse number one, the resolve to praise the Lord. The psalmist here made a clear decision that he was going to praise the Lord. He says, praise ye the Lord, He's, but he isn't just telling everybody else what to do. He himself is practicing it. It's like the, uh, the president of the Hair Club for Men who said, I would encourage you to use this product, but I'm not just the president, I'm also a client. <laughs> okay. By the way, I've never been a client of Hair Club for Men, nor do I want a membership. My wife likes me just the way I am, and I'm good with that. And by the way, it doesn't, it doesn't take me too long to get my hair. I don't have to spend forever in front of the mirror. Only 45 minutes to get this type of look. So, um, it's, But imagine if I had hair. I mean, how long would that take? But the psalmist here is saying, hey, I don't want, I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm also willing to practice it myself because he says in that verse, praise you the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. See, the psalmist resolved to praise the Lord in his life. It was something he decided to do. Now, praising God doesn't always come naturally in our life. That's why the writer of Hebrews challenged us to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. And in that verse, he says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I've shared this before, but it's been a little while, and there's some newer folks who haven't heard this before, but when uh, when when our son uh, Seth was really young and and uh, we were teaching him how to pray and we were having him pray for the meals and he heard us you know when we pray we would say Lord thank you for the food and for your goodness in our lives thank you for salvation thank you for our church and all the things we we would list a few things that we're thankful for but then we would kind of wrap the prayer up because you know the food's getting cold <laughs> like you know you want to you want to spend some time praising the Lord and thanking God but then you want to get to the eating part too. Well, when we had Seth start praying, he would—he didn't really know that you were supposed to have your eyes closed. So he had his eyes open, and he would—he would begin thanking God for things, and he would thank God for his parents, and then he'd start looking around and thinking of trying to figure out what else to thank God for. And so he—he'd look at the table and he said, "Thank you for the plates, thank you for the cups." I'm kind of going like, "Buddy, uh, <laughs> my food's getting cold." Well, he keeps going with this, and he, thank you for the napkins. Now, actually, I am appreciative of napkins. If you know me, I like napkins, and that is something to be thankful for. But then he goes on, and he, he's looking into the living room, and he sees a soccer ball in the living room that we had there for the boys to play. And he, thank, you for the, thank you for the soccer ball. Thank you for the chair over there. And I'm like, okay, wrap it up, bud. we got to get to amen, amen. And so I, I helped him kind of wrap up the prayer so we could get to eat but I got I thought thinking about that, and I was like, you know, what if what if that's how we went through an entire day? Where just everything that our eyes come in contact with, we're like, thank you for that. Thank you for the vehicle that I get to get into, and thank you for the job that I get to go to, and thank you even for my coworkers, even though maybe sometimes they irk me a little bit and they uh, cook their they they microwave their their bad smelling food in the in the in the break room, you know, um, and smell the whole place up. Thank you for, thank you for this, the air that I get to breathe. Thank you for that. I, that I have the health to go to work and thank you. And, and just everywhere you, everywhere you look, you're thanking God for things. I, that would be a good way to spend a day. And, uh, it takes some time. It takes some effort. It, it, it costs some energy and, and, and most expensive of all praising, uh, does also cost us our pride. Because we have to recognize that it's not, it's not us. It's, it's God who's the one who's given us those blessings to begin with. 
So the resolve to praise the Lord was significant in three ways I see here in verse number one. First of all, it was a personal resolve. In verse number one, he says, praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord. You see, it, he said, it doesn't matter what others will do. I, I will praise him. As for me and my house, we'll, we're, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the verse. But he's saying, look, you, you do what you want to do. But as for me, I'm going to praise the Lord because I'm thankful for what God has done in my life. See, it's a personal choice that we all must make. It's not just, hey, y'all go and praise the Lord. Every person needs to make this personal decision to praise the Lord. It's not just, you know, because when, when I was in, uh, in California, one of my, one of my bosses, my, my pastor there, he would say, you know, everybody's business is nobody's business. He would say, hey, if you're all supposed to do that, then guess who does it? Nobody, because everybody thinks someone else is going to do it. And so here, yes, we're all encouraged to praise ye the Lord, but the psalmist says, well, I'm going to make it a personal decision in my own life. I'm going to make sure that I'm praising the Lord, regardless of what other, others do, regardless of how everybody else treats this. I'm going to personally make sure that I'm resolving to, play, to, to praise the Lord. When you think about the, the 10 lepers, that uh, particular story comes up in this time of year a lot. Um, when, when those 10 lepers were healed miraculously by the Lord Jesus, uh, of those 10, how many were thankful? Well, I always, I always say, I think all 10 of them were thankful that they were healed. But only one of them had that personal resolve to go back and express that praise and that gratitude. Now, only one of them made that a personal decision in his life. Will you, which one are you? Are you one of the nine or are you, one of the, are you the one who goes back and says, I'm going to resolve to praise the Lord? So it was a personal resolve, but I see it was also a passionate resolve. He said, praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. He did not say with half of my heart, most of my heart, the vast majority of my heart. No, sir. He said, with my whole heart. He was passionate. One of my college professors once said, half-hearted Christianity always comes up 50% short. And that's a good thought. Now, can I ask you, what gets you excited? What gets you shouting and all excited when your team wins a game? When your team wins Bedlam? Does that get you excited? Gets Brother David excited. Brother Gary kind of too. He just doesn't want to admit it publicly. <laughs> um. When my team wins a game, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. What about when the Amazon driver pulls up to your house with another delivery? <laughs> All right, it's finally here. All right. You should see my kids when they, they order things on Amazon. And they're like, Dad, I just checked the app. It's 10 stops away. I'm like, great, good for you. What did you order? Um, what gets you excited? When you get a raise or a nice financial windfall? Look, those can all be good things, but if you have more passion for those things than you do for the Lord and for praising Him, then my friend, I'm here to tell you something's wrong. Because the psalmist said, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Psalm 9 and verse number 1, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Psalm 138 verse 1 is another one. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. So it's okay to be passionate about singing songs that we sing here at Cornerstone. We, again, as we covered the Music Matters series a while back, it's not, how great thou art. How great thou art. Look, is he great? Yes, he is. So let's put our heart into it with my whole heart, not just half a heart. When we put more heart into cheering for our team or for rooting for something else, something's wrong. 
Let's put our heart into it. So the psalmist here, it was a personal resolve. It was a passionate resolve. And then I see, thirdly, it was a public resolve. In verse number one, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. I'm willing to do this, and I don't care if I'm the only one doing it, but I'm going to do it, and everybody's going to know about it. It didn't matter who saw or heard it. I'm going to praise the Lord passionately. And it doesn't matter if everybody kind of looks at me and goes, boy, that guy's kind of singing a little bit passionately. Amen. So what? The psalmist said in Psalm 22, verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. And in Hebrews 10, 24, we're to consider one another to love and uh, to provoke, unto, uh, I'm sorry, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We, when we sing and praise the Lord passionately, publicly, guess what? It's an example and a help to others. It's a little bit, you know, contagious. I took, uh, I took our boys to, uh, we try to do this uh, every season. I, we went to a Dallas Stars game. Um, by the way, they lost yesterday, so I was not excited. They were up three to nothing. And then they lost six to three. How do you do, how do you even do that? Well, anyway, we went to a Dallas Stars game uh, about two or three weeks ago, and we had a great time. But guess what? When the Stars scored, everybody was cheering, and it was contagious. I mean, there was a guy sitting next to me that I did not know at all, but he wanted to give me a high five. So I was like, "I'll give you a high five. And then they scored again, and I just knew he was going to want another high five. So I was prepared to give him a high five. Look, he was passionate. And guess what? It started to rub off on me. And when you're passionate about praising the Lord, guess what? It start, it's going to make an effect on others. At least it ought to. So there was a resolve to praise the Lord. But then I want us to see number two. There were some reasons to praise the Lord. And in verses two, all the way down through verse number nine, there's, there, there's six powerful truths about God that, that never change in which we can praise Him. Now, obviously, it's easy to praise the Lord when circumstances are going well. Again, when um, you, know, you, get a good, you get a good phone call from the doctor saying, hey, we ran your tests and there's zero wrong with you. And you're like, praise the Lord. But sometimes it's like, actually, I would like to hear what it is that is wrong with me because I know something's a little off. Um, but when you get good news from a family member or your boss comes and says, oh, you did such a good job on that project, and, and, and that's good news, and, and it's easy to praise the Lord when things are going well, but, but it's another thing to praise Him when things are not going well. And look, here's the deal. Circumstances change all the time. Do we just praise Him when things are going well, or are we continuous in our praise life? Do we praise Him when things are not going well? I think of, this one kind of just blows my mind, and um, if you just hold your place here in Psalm 111, we'll do a quick field trip over to Acts 16. Acts 16. Now, the context of this passage is Paul and Silas are in Philippi, they're just trying to lead people to Christ. They're just trying to preach the gospel. They're just trying to establish church. They're trying to do good things. Well, not everybody in the town liked what they were doing. So they ended up getting cast into prison. And here's what their response was in verse 25 of Acts 16. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang, what's the next word? Praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. You see that? You say, well, their circumstances were pretty nice. I mean, they were in a really cush prison cell. Uh, no. The prisons back then did not have cable television. Uh, they didn't have a nice, comfortable, uh, Tempur-Pedic mattress. Okay, probably the prisons here don't either. But I'm, I'm telling you, the, the, the situation they were in was, was pretty terrible. I mean, you go back and read what happened to them in verse 22. The magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. 
who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So their circumstances were less than ideal, to put it mildly. And yet they chose to still praise the Lord. How could they do that? Because you see, I think the Bible doesn't give us all the reasons why they did. But I believe it has a lot to do with what I'm about to tell you. Because they weren't praising the Lord necessarily for the circumstances. They were praising the Lord for who God is and what he had done for them. Okay, let's get into it in Psalm 111 if we flip back over there. Let's look at six reasons to praise the Lord from this passage. There's others that we could mention from other places in the Bible. But we'll focus real quickly on these six quick ones. So first reason to praise the Lord, again, circumstances change. These things don't. First of all, we see God's works mentioned here in verses 2, 3, 4, and verse number 6. The works of God are highlighted. In verse number 2, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure in them. His work, verse 3, is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. And verse 4, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. Verse 6, he has showed his people the power of his works. So God's works are highlighted, and we can be thankful for God's works. What are some of the works that God has done? We, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I think of creation. The fact that God created this, all that we see and know in six literal 24-hour periods of time. Psalm 33 puts it this way, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. How can I praise the Lord? Because of his power to do all of these works. His works are great. Verse number two says that. His works of the, the works of the Lord are great. Verse three, his work is honorable. Verse 4, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. Verse number 3 tells his work is honorable and glorious. They're they're memorable. And and then verse number 6, he hath showed the people the power of his works. His works are powerful. You think about the Red Sea, the manna from heaven, fire from heaven. When Jesus healed the blind eyes, he made the lame to walk, he raised the dead. The greatest miracle of all was when Jesus became sin for us, took all the wrath of God upon himself as he died an excruciating death on the old rugged cross and was buried, and then, praise the Lord, by his own power on the third day, resurrected from the dead and conquered what no one else could, death, hell, and the grave. His works are great. His works are honorable. They're glorious. They're wonderful. They're memorable. They're powerful. And the works of God are reason to praise the Lord. And we're so focused on the burdens that sometimes we don't see and we forget about what God has done in the past. So God's works are one of the reasons to praise the Lord. But then I want us to see, secondly, God's character is another reason. Verse number four highlights some aspects of God's character. Now, this is not a full theology lesson in this one verse, but these are two that are highlighted here. Verse number four says... He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. And then here it is. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. So God is gracious. An atheist once said, if there is a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right now. Well, nothing happened. You see, there is not a God, he told his friend. His friend responded, You've only proved that he is a gracious God (laughs) because you deserve to be struck dead right now. But because he's a gracious God and he's patient, he's long-suffering toward us and not willing that any should perish. God's character. I'm thankful that my character sometimes changes. I'm not thankful for that. I'm thankful that while mine might change from time to time, his never does. He's the Lord and he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He's always gracious. 
But then he says in verse 4, he's also full of compassion. It's not just that he's compassionate. He's full of compassion. Psalm 78, verse 38 says, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. I think of Jesus in his earthly ministry as he looked at the, 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 she, the sheep having been scattered abroad, and, and, and he was moved with compassion because they had no shepherd. He, he is full of compassion. And, I, and we see this displayed in John chapter 11 when, when one of his friends, Lazarus, died. The Bible says Jesus wept, showing his compassion for his friend, but also for those around him him who uh, did not trust that he could perform a great miracle. I think that was the biggest reason for his tears, is for their lack of faith. God's character, he's gracious and full of compassion. And and we love that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. His mercies are made new every morning, and his compassions, they, they fail not. And I'm thankful for that. And we can be thankful for that. You say, well, yeah, but I got bad news regarding my health. I got bad news regarding my job. I got bad news regarding my finances. I got bad news this week. Well, you can be thankful for God's character because in spite of all the ebb and flow of our circumstances, God's character does not ebb and flow. It remains the same. So six reasons to praise the Lord. Well, God's works, God's character. First, thirdly, God's provision in verse number five. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. See, he promises to provide our needs. By the way, he promises to provide our needs, not our greeds. You say, well, yeah, I asked, I, I really wanted a, a Lamborghini and I didn't get one. And, you know, where, where is God's provision in my life? Okay, well, he, he promises to meet our needs, not our greeds, okay? And, and there might be somebody here who really does want a Lamborghini. I don't know. I'm kind of giving a far-fetched example, but you say, well, you know, I'm still single and I should be married by now and God's not meeting my needs. Well, God knows what your needs are better than you know what your needs are, right? If you go... Uh, and look in uh, Matthew chapter 6 real quickly. We'll just, again, do a little flip over here real quick. And just to be reminded of who God is and what he promises to do for us. Matthew 6, verse 25. I'm going to start reading as you're turning there. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body Then raiment, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not even arrayed like even one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. He already knows. He, he, you, don't, you can tell him what you need, but... But you're not going to inform him of anything. He already knows it. So don't stress out about it. He already knows your needs. And instead, what we need to focus on is in verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So stop stressing and start seeking the Lord. God's provision. And uh, I, I would say that if you've been saved for any length of time, probably you have testimony in your own life of God's provision, how he's taken care of you, how he's met a need, as only he can. You say, well, yeah, but yeah, I, there, there, was a, there was a time when we were in Montana where finances were tight every single month. And one time I got a phone call from my dad saying, hey, I got a windfall. And I was wondering if you guys could use some help. 
And I'm like, you have no idea how much we do need that. I'm like, if the Lord leads you to give, we would accept. <laughs> but that was God taking care of his children. And financially he does that, but in so many other ways, God does provide for us. In verse number five, he puts it this way back in Psalm 111. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He provided, by the way, our greatest need, didn't he? He provided the greatest need we had. Greatest need was not a full bank account, was not clean bill of health. It was forgiveness of sin. And he, for, he provided a savior for us. And I praise the Lord that he did. And look, if he can provide for our greatest need, don't you think he can take care of the other ones too? Don't you think he can take care of your health needs? Yeah, well, I asked God to take care of my loved one and, and my loved one died. That's part of life. And for the Christian, death is actually the ultimate healing to begin with. Because then there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow. So God's provision, God does provide for us, and I'm thankful that he does. But fourthly, here's another reason to praise the Lord. In Psalm 111 is God's word. In verse number seven, the works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Notice it says that his word is sure. In other words, he keeps his word. In verse number five, if you look at the last part of that verse, he will ever be mindful of his covenant. The word sure in the um, Webster's 1828 dictionary means certain, unfailing, infallible. And Psalm 93 in verse number five says of the words of God, thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. 2 Peter 1.19, when Peter was talking about his experience there on the Mount of Transfiguration as he got to see the Lord Jesus in all his glory, he said, actually, we have a more sure word of prophecy right here. Um, we have a, the word of God that is sure. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. But God's word, not only is it sure, it, they also stand fast. They will last forever. He says that in verse number, um, verse number eight. They stand fast forever and ever. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. They're going to last forever. Not one jot, not one tittle will, uh, will not be fulfilled. Everything will be fulfilled, and it stands fast forever. Again, regardless of culture. Men may try to eradicate the Bible, but that, but try as you might, no can do. They stand fast forever. Okay, God's Word is a wonderful thing to be thankful for. And by the way, you and I have a copy of it. Some of us have many copies of it. Some of us have it on our phones, our tablets, our computers. Some of us have all kinds of Bibles. If you're thankful for it, you know what it'll say about your life and how you treat it? Do you even read it? If you're thankful for it, you'll read it. If you're thankful for it, you'll memorize it. If you're thankful for it, you'll live it out. If you're thankful for it, you'll study it and learn it and grow in your relationship with it. So are you thankful? I hope the answer is yes. Let it be evident in your life. Because again, we don't praise the Lord just with our lips. Oh, I'm thankful for God's word. Well, we can be thankful and praise the Lord with our, with our life as well. And the way that happens is when we're actually reading it, when we're actually spending time in it, when we're actually memorizing, when we're actually living it out. So what are some reasons to give thanks and to praise the Lord? God's word. Fifthly, God's redemption. And I love this one. Verse number nine, he sent redemption unto his people. Now, in context here, he wasn't referring to the redemption that you and I think of as believers. He was referring to when God delivered the nation of Israel out of the bondage of slavery there in Egypt. That's the redemption that he was referring to, but, but that was merely, and I know it was a big deal to those who 
were brought out of Egypt, but it was merely a illustration pointing to the ultimate redemption that would take place that you and I as believers enjoy in Christ. Because you see, they were delivered out of the bondage of Egypt, of slavery. You and I, when Jesus came, he was our deliverer and brought us out of the bondage of our own sin. If you're here today and you're still in slavery to sin, can I tell you, hey, there's a deliverer that has been sent to rescue you and to redeem you from that bondage. His name is Jesus and he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again the third day to deliver you and to redeem you for himself. I'm thankful for the redemption that is in Christ. Colossians 1.14, Paul talked about it. He said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Praise the Lord for his redemption. Say, well, man, things are going pretty terrible in my life. Hey, if you're saved, you have a ton to be thankful for. You have a ton to praise the Lord for. You've been redeemed. Your sins are forgiven, and he promises to remember them no more. We become children of God. We become joint heirs with Christ. We have eternal life. And, and no matter what happens here on this earth, uh, we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Friend, there's a lot of things that we can praise the Lord for when we get bad news. I can't help but think that that's what Paul and Silas were doing there in the prison there at midnight. They weren't sleeping. They weren't snoozing. They were praying and they were praising so God's redemption was a great reason to give praise. But then last one here mentioned in this passage, God's name, God's name. That's found in verse number nine. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Names are important. I've shared this before, but it's been a little while. And I'm sure there's people who haven't heard this before, but my, uh, my parents, when they were, when my mom was expecting me, I was, was in her womb. They were having the discussion, okay, what are we going to name this kid? And uh, my dad, he had a name picked out, and my mom had a name picked out. My, my dad, he really liked the name Clarence. My mom really liked the name Eric. And uh, I, I, I'll just be honest, I'm really glad my mom won that one, Okay. <laughs> I know that there's some Clarence's, some good people named Clarence, and uh, I'm, I wouldn't, if that's what my name was, I'd be okay with it, I suppose, but, but, but now that I know that story, I'm really thankful that my mom, my mom won that war, and I am Eric, not Clarence. Well, then I meet my wife, and I share that story with her, and she's like, that's so funny, because there was the same similar discussion with my family, my extended family was involved with that when I was um, in the womb. And they, there, was, there was somebody in my family that wanted to name me Penelope. And, and then she, her name is Julie. And so can you imagine this, this morning, Pastor Clarence and Sister Penelope Johnson here uh, today, you know. Clarence and Penelope. Now, just because people wanted to name me that doesn't mean you get to do this. I've shared the story, and so everybody starts calling me Clarence. No, see, my name is Eric still, okay? Names are important, but no name is more important, right, than the name of God. And, and he says here in verse number nine, holy and reverend is his name. And we learn in the book of Philippians that his name is above all names. And every, one day, everybody's going to bow to that name and, and declare that, uh, that he is the Lord. Psalm 148, verse 13, Let them that praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Psalm 8, 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
Psalm 99, verse 3, Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Psalm 113, 3, From the rising of the sun and to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And His name never changes. Your circumstances might, but His name never does. And let me just ask this question, since we're Christians, most of us are here, Christians are supposed to be little Christ. Does, does your life match up with your name? Have you ever met somebody and you, they tell you their name and you're like, yeah, but you just don't seem like a Tom or a Susan. But I, I know that's your name, but that in my brain it just doesn't compute and you just can never put that name with the face. There's some people who are like, oh yeah, that's a Karen. Okay, no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say Karen, because there are some Karens in our church. They're not Karens in that sense of the word at all. They're wonderful, godly saints of God. But you know what I mean. Does your, does your name as a Christian match up with what a Christian should be? Or is it like, yeah, you say you're a Christian, but my brain just, it, it, it doesn't compute it because the life is not matching up with that description. So God's name, it's holy, it's reverend. Are you holy? Does your life match up with that name? We're called by his name. And we need to live according to his name. Okay, six reasons to praise the Lord. Again, when things are bad, can we still praise the Lord? John Wesley, in his journal, he visited, uh, he mentioned this. He said, I visited one who was ill in bed. And after having buried seven of her family members in six months, talk about a difficult trial. There's been several in our church who've had to bury loved ones in recent days. But this person had to marry six people in, or seven people in six months and then had just heard that the eighth, her beloved husband, was cast away at sea. Here John Wesley asked her, do not you fret at any of those things? She said with a lovely smile upon her pale cheek, Oh no, how can I fret at anything which is the will of God? Let him take all besides. He has given me himself. I love, I praise him every moment. Wow. Why? Because I think she was thinking about a lot of the reasons we just talked about this morning. Reasons to praise the Lord and then very quickly, last thought here, and I'll wrap this up very quickly, the results of praising the Lord. What, what will happen in our lives as we resolve to praise the Lord for the different reasons we mentioned? What will happen? Well, verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding. Have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. So a couple thoughts here. What will happen? It will produce some things. It will produce some fruit. First of all, it will produce the fear of God. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It'll produce a fear of the Lord in my life. Now, the fear of God is, again, misunderstood. A lot of times it's considered as you're being afraid of God, that he's going to strike you dead and he's going to zap you if you blow it. That, that's not the nature of our God. He's our loving Heavenly Father, but he is holy. And, and his word makes things very clear that he wants us to obey them and so we're basically, the fear of God means that you're aware of his presence and you practice his presence in your life. Do you acknowledge the fact that he's there watching and he sees and he knows? So you're aware of his presence. You're also aware of his power. You're aware that he is able to make things right and to deal with discipline issues in his family. You're aware of his power and you're aware of his purity. You're aware that he is holy and that there's some expectations that he has in our lives, a fear of God. So when you praise the Lord and you resolve to do so for those reasons, it's going to produce this fear of God. It's also going to produce some understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. You're going to have this understanding. You're going to, it's going to put some things in perspective. Versus those who are just so focused on all the negative and all the blisters of life, you're just going to be so focused on those 
you're not going to see life in a little bit of a bigger picture. But those who are praising the Lord, it's not that they totally forget about the blisters, but they see the blisters in a different perspective, in the right perspective. They have a good understanding. And then thirdly, there's obedience. It's going to produce obedience. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. It's not just about knowing what the commandments are. It's also about doing those commandments. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Obedience. Not just being a hearer, but a doer of the word. So, how is your prayer, how is your prayer life? That's a great question. Today I'm asking you, how's your praise life? Do you need to make a resolution? Do you need to resolve personally to passionately and publicly praise the Lord? You say, well, I'm struggling to praise the Lord because, man, things in my life are going a little crazy. That may be true, but there's six reasons here, six unchanging truths about God that you can truly praise Him for. And when you do, it's going to produce some things. It's going to result in... The fear of God, you're going to have better understanding and you're going to be more obedient to the scriptures. Now, I've spoken to Christians this morning, but you might be here today wondering what in the world I've even been talking about. It's difficult to truly praise the Lord when you don't even know him. You might say, well, I believe in God. Well, believing in God's great. James said, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, but the devils also believe and tremble. At Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. You can tell me all day long, well, I'm a Christian, I believe. Great. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. What do your works say about you? Are you truly saved? Because Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, and that's a sad word there, many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I think there's so many people who profess Christianity who do not possess Christianity. Which one are you? Are you a professor or are you a possessor of new life? If you're a possessor, it's going to be evident in your life. It's going to be evidence. People are going to say, man, there is something. And we, we spoke about that a little bit ago. It's going to be evident that you are a Christian. Your life is going to match up with that name. But if you're here and your life doesn't match up with that name or you know that you never trusted and repented and believed on Christ, can I encourage you to come to Jesus and be born again today? Today is a day of salvation, not tomorrow, because we don't know what a day may bring forth. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Okay, what about you, Christian? Will you resolve to praise the Lord with your lips and with your life? Will you do so personally, passionately, and publicly? And let's have prayer together today. Lord.